are listening to the podcast of the White Church at the Elk River YMCA in Minnesota. Our mission is to seek Jesus, connect together, and share His love. The Last Supper. On the first day of the Festival of Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat that Passover? He replied, Go into the city to a certain man and tell him, The teacher says, My appointed time is near. I am going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve. And while they were eating, he said, Truly, I tell you, one of you will betray me. They were very sad and began to say to him one after the other, Surely you don't mean me, Lord. Jesus replied, The one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely you don't mean me, Rabbi. Jesus answered, You have said so. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. When they had sung a hymn, they went up to the Mount of Olives. Thank you very much, Greg, for reading for us. My goal for us this morning in the message is threefold. So the three things we'd like to accomplish is first to understand more about what happened at the Last Supper. Secondly, what that means for you and I when we receive communion. And thirdly, that both God's Word and receiving communion would ultimately move us to more deeply commune with Jesus. Now, I'm fully aware that commune is not a word that you and I often use in our everyday English language. My middle school daughters don't commune with their friends. They hang out. My wife and I, you know, I... Now we would need more than one sitter. We don't get a sitter and go out on Friday night on a communion. We go out on a date. So this is somewhat of a foreign word to us, but to commune with someone is to share your deepest thoughts or feelings, to talk intimately, to bear your heart. That's communion. So today as we talk about this topic, I want you to think in terms of you communing with Jesus. That's certainly how his first disciples thought of him, and it's how Jesus desires for us to know him too, in that kind of way. And that's my question here as we begin. Do you consider yourself to commune with Jesus? Would that be an apt description? Because it is easy to settle for less. It is way easier to just call yourself religious or to check a box and identify as Christian. It is easier to attend church or even to serve at church than to commune with Jesus. It's easy, I think, to know God in a way like maybe some of us know our neighbors in a Minnesota winter. You know they're there, 
but you really haven't talked for a few months. What would it look like for you to truly commune with Jesus, not just believe in him? And how can the sacrament of communion lead you into a relationship of communion with Christ? Our text today is the story of the Last Supper. I've given it four headings as we just make our way across the verses. Four headings, Passover, Betrayal, Bread, and Wine. And so we'll begin in verse 17 with the Passover. It says, and I'll remind us just of a few of the verses as we read along. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? Now, it's very important for us to remember that Jesus didn't create communion out of thin air, but it came out of the Jewish celebration of Passover. Passover was and is one of the most important holidays for the Jewish people. So when we think of our cultural background, we might think of Christmas as, for many of us, a favorite holiday season. The most significant holiday spiritually for us would be Easter. And so by some comparison, I want you to be thinking of Passover is that for the Jewish people like Jesus and his disciples were. In Matthew 26, we find them outside Jerusalem, And it is about time to celebrate the Passover. And we see this first clause of the verse that references the festival of unleavened bread. And what that is is the longer stretch of holidays of which Passover was part. So the festival was seven, eight days long, a good week that they celebrated. And Passover itself was on day two of that festival. Now the reason that Passover was such an important holiday is that it commemorated what you would have to say is the most important event of the Old Testament, and that was the Exodus. God rescuing his people out of slavery in Egypt. Anybody sing that camp song growing up? Pharaoh, Pharaoh, oh baby, let my people go. (laughs) Was it there? (laughs) No? I'm pretty sure I learned that at Camp Shamanah, by the way. That maybe doesn't help the sign-ups, does it? So remember, though, this story where God's people under Joseph had gone to Egypt because of famine in their land. And they were welcomed at that time with open arms, but years and years, hundreds of years went by. There's different pharaohs, different leaders, and they fell out of favor and became essentially the forced laborers for Pharaoh. They were slaves. So God sends Moses to Pharaoh to set them free, but Pharaoh didn't comply. And repeatedly, he says no to God's command. And in turn, there's this, every time Pharaoh says no, there's a plague, which is a sign to Pharaoh that God means business and that Pharaoh had better listen. The final plague, the 10th plague, is the one that finally works. And that is the death of every firstborn in Egypt, which included Pharaoh's son. Now, the night that that happens, God gives his people instructions so that this plague that sweeps across Egypt will not touch their families or their homes. Here's the instructions. They're to be dressed and ready to go, to eat a special meal of lamb, unleavened bread, and bitter herbs. The herbs are bitter as a symbol of their slavery. The bread is unleavened, meaning it doesn't have yeast in it, because they're not going to have time to let the bread rise. They're going to eat in a hurry. And the roast lamb is prepared in such a way where the blood of the lamb 
is to be put on the sides and top of the exterior door frames of their houses. And that way, the blood will be a sign and God will pass over that house, which is where we get the name Passover. So that's what happens that night. And Pharaoh, in his sorrow and his fury as his firstborn son dies, tells the Israelites that they can finally go. Of course, if you know the rest of the story... Soon thereafter, he changes his mind, and that's when we have the story of the parting of the Red Sea as God once again rescues his people, this time now from Pharaoh's army that's pursuing them. So this whole event is called the Exodus, and God's people remember it every year by having that special Passover meal and telling the story. So that's what brings us to this text in Matthew 26. The disciples are saying to Jesus, Jesus, Passover is a couple days away. Where would you like us to prepare so that we can celebrate? And Jesus tells them, we'll just summarize some of the verses that are there. Go into Jerusalem. You're going to see a certain man. Uh, We know from the other Gospels, he's a man carrying water, which would have been unusual because who usually carried water? The women. So look for this man. He's going to be carrying water. Say to him, the teacher says he's going to celebrate Passover with his disciples at your house. And voila, it works. An act of God. So that evening, they're at this guy's house in the upper room. Jesus knows it's the day before he will die on the cross, and they're celebrating Passover with this meal. That brings us to our second heading, and this, what I would call a jarring little interlude in the midst of this story, and that is betrayal. It starts in verse 20. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve. And while they were eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. So first I want to remind you, I know we've talked about it here in previous years, but what their dining room table arrangement would have looked like. It says that they're reclining at the table. You know, if you do that at my house, you get corrected if you're leaning back in the chair. But that's exactly what they did. This is called the triclinium. And it was the common way that they would share, especially formal meals like a Passover, where it was a picture, a sectional couch in the shape of a U. So it's open on one side. And in the middle of the U is a low-lying table. That's the dining room table. So there's no chairs that you and I are accustomed to around a table. But they are lying down on these couches, these futons, leaning on their left and reaching into the table and eating with the right. This was especially the way that you'd eat for a formal occasion. And here Jesus is celebrating with his closest companions, the 12 disciples. They have done life together for three years. Traveled, camped, been all over the place together. And in the middle of this festive holiday dinner, Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me. Now, nobody knows who it is except Jesus. And I think actually it's probably evidence that Judas blended right in. You know, sometimes in like film portrayals or something, you know, Judas, he looks sinister, you know, from the get-go who's Judas. I don't think so. The disciples are so shocked and clueless as to who it might be. They're all asking, Lord, is it me? Surely not I, Lord. But Judas, he knows. He knows. He's been conspiring. He's 
the betrayer. And he says, surely you don't mean me, rabbi. And there, I know some of you play poker. That's the tell. Right there. So all the other disciples call him Lord. Judas stays at a distance and calls him rabbi. Jesus says, Judas, you have said so. It is you. The betrayal verses of the Last Supper, I think, as I read this text, they can be uncomfortable to read. Even in the beginner's Bible that we read with kids in our homes, you know, there it is, right in the middle of this poignant story. In our Bible, we even read these verses where it says, Woe to him who betrays the Son of Man. It would have been better if he hadn't even been born. And over time, there have been attempts to sympathize with Judas I think of that rock opera from the 70s, Jesus Christ Superstar, a classic example. Let's try to paint him in a better light, the poor guy. But such attempts are outside the clear account of Scripture. Judas chose to betray Jesus, and the betrayal is uncomfortable. And in an otherwise touching account of this holiday gathering, And what becomes the Lord's Supper that you and I celebrate today, right in the middle of it is this ugly stain of betrayal. But I also want to encourage us in reading it that it would serve as a reminder of how badly we need a Savior. The disciples are all wondering, could it be me? Could I turn against Jesus? Are we so different? We should ask ourselves, Could it be me? Could I deny him like Peter will do? Could I doubt him like Thomas? Could I betray him like Judas? As a prison chaplain once told me, Don Ryther, some of you know him, active at the Sherburne County Jail for many, many years. He told me once, There but by the grace of God go I. There is not so much difference from one sinner to the next. That I don't come to Jesus because I would consider myself a halfway decent person. The Bible says I'm sinful and dependent on His grace. We'll return to this again in a moment when we talk about communion. But next in the passage, look with me at verse 26, and the heading here would be bread. While they were eating, Jesus took bread. And when he'd given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Now, up to this point, the Passover meal had been presented according to its normal course. The customary foods were served. Jesus, as the head of table, he is the host among his disciples, he would have been reciting the lines that were given as they would retell the Passover story. It was normal that the host would then take the bread and give thanks, as we just read. And he would have said the customary prayer, Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. Jesus then broke that brittle, unleavened bread. He gave it to his disciples to eat, and it's there now in this moment that the expected routine takes a sudden turn. And Jesus says something completely new. Take and eat. This is my body. Jesus is taking the Passover meal and he is infusing it 
with new meaning. The bread is no longer just the matzah of Passover, but it is now a picture of Jesus' body, which the very next day will be torn by scourging and crucifixion. I don't think you and I can imagine how these words would have hit the disciples. You know, if you've been following Jesus for some years, you've been coming to church, you've been receiving communion, then these words, take and eat, this is my body, they have become very predictable to you and I, very familiar. But that was not the case at all when they were first said. And to show you a little bit more about that, let's add in the wine, and then we'll come back to these themes. This is the last heading in the passage. Wine, and verses, the ones we'll read, would be 27 and 28. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Once again, the familiar is going to become upended by the unexpected. The familiar was the cup of wine. Just like the unleavened bread, the herbs, the lamb, there were four cups of wine through the course of the Passover dinner. I find I should probably remind us that their wine was not quite as strong as our wine today. You know, if most of us had four cups of wine, you'd have to pick us up off the floor. But that was not the case back then. Their version of wine would have featured four of these cups during the Passover meal. And each one was given a name and a purpose in the retelling of the story. There was the cup of sanctification, the cup of deliverance, the cup of redemption, and the last one is called Hallel. You know the word hallelujah? It means praise, the cup of praise. Though it's not said explicitly in the passage, it seems pretty clear in the text that this moment would have been with the third cup, the cup of redemption, which is also called the cup of blessing. It would have been served right after the meal. This whole four-hour event is scripted out. The third cup comes after the meal. Jesus took the cup, gave thanks for it, and then again he goes totally off script. And he says, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So listen to these words carefully. Because Jesus now we see is not just infusing new meaning into Passover, but he is also creating a new covenant. And covenant language for you and I, you know, it's not really a heart word. It doesn't resonate quite as deeply. But covenants were the major markers that were across the Old Testament. A covenant was a sacred agreement. It was like an oath-bound relationship between God and his people. And just to name a few of them, there's covenants made with Abraham and Moses and David, and each one seems to build on the one before it. And then there's this prophecy. We just were in the book of Ezekiel where we see this prophecy about one day there is a new covenant that's coming. The classic expression of it is probably Jeremiah 31. And I want to read to you just a few verses here from Jeremiah 31, verse 31. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel. I will put my law in their minds, not on stone tablets like I did for Moses. But I'll put my law in their minds. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God 
and they will be my people. They will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Jeremiah is saying there's, there's a new covenant coming. Jesus picks up the cup at this Passover meal, gives thanks for it, gives it to his disciples to drink, and he says there is a new exodus at hand. This is the new covenant, and it is sealed in my blood, not in an animal sacrifice like that lamb in the Passover, but now sealed in my blood, and this new covenant is for the forgiveness of sins. It's the Exodus story. In a brand new and better way. God's people saved from the slavery of sin and he will be the sacrificial lamb that accomplishes it. Now, we could, maybe the word is theologize about this for a long time, but what we want to get to without further delay is how this leads us to these tables and how we celebrate communion today. After his death and resurrection, the followers of Jesus would continue to meet for the breaking of bread, which means sharing a meal, like we share breakfast. And they would celebrate what we now call communion. Jesus had said, take and eat. Drink of it, all of you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so they did. And they would have certainly recalled Jesus' other teaching about this too. John 6 would be a place you could go to in your own Bible reading this week for some more about this. Let me just read a little bit of what's there because I think it will help us as we come to the table later. John 6, Jesus says, I bet some of you know these words, I am the bread of life, Jesus said. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise them up at the last day. He says, for my flesh is real food, my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. So does that mean, my brothers and sisters, that receiving communion gets you to heaven? No. But it keeps you abiding in Jesus, communing with him. It is not a means of salvation. It is a means of grace. And here is what I would call a summary of this morning's passage. When we eat the bread and drink the cup, we receive the body and blood of Christ who gave his life for our sins. So how does this translate into our experience of communion this morning? And something I'd like you to be thinking about is when I receive these elements, bread, wine, juice, what should I be thinking about? Maybe you've asked yourself that over the years. What am I doing? What am I thinking about when I receive communion? At last week's First Communion class, Katie and I shared four things with our fifth graders that I want to present to you now, just briefly, each one. This is an idea of what we get to do at communion. First of all, we're confessing our sin. Confessing our sin. This is the heart of the new covenant. God says that I am forgiven at the cross. That Jesus bore my sin and he set me free. At communion, I can actively be thinking about ways that I have sinned against God. That I have hurt other people. That I have acted out of selfish motive. In thought, word, or deed. And you can name concrete examples 
Lord, I need forgiveness for this this morning before I even got to church. From this week, Lord, this moment at school or in my family or, or at work, something I said, did, thought, Lord, I'm bringing that to you. I'm confessing it and asking for your forgiveness. That leads us to receiving forgiveness. We often are coming forward for communion and we're receiving that piece of bread with hands that are open like this. And I want you to imagine that you are receiving a gift because you are. And that gift is the assurance of forgiveness. When Jesus speaks of forgiveness, when the Bible speaks of forgiveness, it is not, I hope I'm forgiven. I hope this works. I think I'm forgiven. No, you can know with absolute certainty that Jesus has forgiven all of your sins. He says, as far as the east is from the west, so far have I cast your sin from you. Thirdly, at communion, we're celebrating the cross. And communion is this interesting experience because in one sense, it has such a somber feel to it. There is a real sorrow and heaviness about communion as we bring our sin and we see what Jesus had to do on our behalf. But the cross is also our greatest victory. Sin is washed away. Death is defeated. There is life beyond the grave in Jesus. And evil, the powers of evil, are conquered. That news is worth celebrating and rejoicing in. So we come, sometimes, I mean, almost skipping to receive the elements because there is a lightness in us as we're forgiven. And then finally, communion is a time of uniting the church. This was the fourth idea Katie and I shared with the kids. There's a lot that divides people in the world. But for those who belong to Jesus, our defining characteristic is the unity that we have in Christ. You know, across this gym from one table to the next, there's going to be all kinds of differences between us. But Jesus makes us family. He knits us together into this global body, this family of Christ. And in communion, we celebrate the unity of our life in Christ. And then it goes out as a testimony to the world. With that, I give you these ideas as we're about to prepare for communion. And at the heart of it is this. That you would eat of his grace. That you would drink his forgiveness. And that you would remember the cross. That's what we want to do next. If I may give just a few instructions that will help us over the next few minutes. I'll do that now. And then we'll do the words of institution. As we celebrate communion today, our students and their little family clusters, their family units, are going to each be at one of these stations that you see on the tables up front. And so they're going to come forward then as we begin. Katie and I will visit their tables and give first communion to the students. And then as a family, they're going to serve communion to one another. So that's the plan up here. But also, I just felt like it's time to at least offer once again the opportunity for our whole church family to come forward and receive communion. 
we've been living in this COVID stretch for a couple years now. We'll continue to have the portable communion kits at the tables that you see. But if you're comfortable and you want to come forward to receive communion, we're going to have a couple stations up front. And as you come forward, you would receive a piece of bread, which you can then dip into either the dark-colored wine or the light-colored juice. So we're going to probably do this from here on out, both offered at tables, if you prefer, but also our, it's called intinction, as we dip the bread in the wine here at stations up front. With that, let's remind ourselves of this story and words of Scripture that are shared. The Gospels tell the story. The Apostle Paul tells the story as he reminds the church about receiving this meal. That it was on the very night that Jesus was betrayed that he took bread, gave thanks for it, broke it, and gave it to his disciples to eat. And he said to them, This is my body given for you. Take and eat. Do this in remembrance of me. After the meal, Jesus then took the cup. He gave thanks for it, gave it to his disciples to drink. Then he said to them, this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this, he said to them, in remembrance of me. So this table is prepared for you as you have placed your trust in Jesus. I invite you to receive communion either at your tables or to come forward. We're going to sing in worship just as the disciples sang a hymn and headed out to the Mount of Olives. May you be nourished in this meal. Thanks for listening to the Y Church Podcast. For more information about the Y Church, check us out online at thewychurch.org.